To be honestly surprised by wonder seems to be rare experience of human life. There are times, of course, when the thinness of life itself opens our souls to an existence outside of ourselves, like at the birth of a child or the death of a loved one. They can be amazing and they can be overwhelming, even as we remember them and recall them to mind. Wonder can also be experienced in the encounter of a physical physical place that is thin, when the holy comes near. These places are commonly referred to as a thin place. What is a thin place? In Touching the Veil of Thin Places, Jean-Paul Bedard describes them this way. The Celtic Christians believed that there were mystical spaces called thin places, where the veil between the holy and the human is traversed, a place in which the physical and spiritual worlds are somehow knit together. And if we are attuned, we can transcend the ordinary for a glimpse of the infinite. Jean-Paul continues, thin places are not necessarily sacred places, but they can be, or even peaceful places. He says, I consider them to be places of dissonance, dissonance, or transformational plateaus. My heart is opened to be more grateful, more empathetic, and even less alone. It is a disarming feeling of being brought to your own attention. That's what he writes. Being brought to your own attention. Knowing that you are forever changed by that experience. When traveling in Salzburg, Austria a number of years ago, we stumbled upon a Eucharistic chapel in the undercroft of the Salzburg Cathedral. We just stumbled upon it. The place was thick, literally thick, with the presence of God. I have never before or since, never before or since, experienced such an intense encounter with the Spirit of God in a place, in a physical place. I was not doing anything special. I was not expecting anything special or anything extraordinary to happen. I was just walking into a small, simple, if you've traveled to Europe, everything's broke and gold and gilded and blah. This was not that. It was simple. It was small, it was ordinary. But, because how? 
God's spirit was there. Surprising wonder can also be experienced in the turn of the road that opens up to a magnificent vista or in the beauty of a piece of art or music that catches a part of our soul and for whatever reason in that moment, in that moment, draws us into a whole other realm. The story this week is of the three disciples and Jesus who journey up a mountain. They've been up the mountain a few times with Jesus. So this wasn't that, you know, extraordinary. They were going up the mountain with Jesus. But the thing is, this time, if you read a little bit, you know, before this in Mark, they were leaving behind this contentious exchange that they had with Jesus about his soon coming and death. This is where Peter says to Jesus, get behind me, Satan. This is, this is the conversation they had, you know, six days previous. Like this, Ugh, you're not going to suffer and die, are you? In their time away, the disciples encounter a revelation of Jesus' glory and majesty, which links the old covenant's teaching of the law and the prophets to the person of Jesus that they see before them in the here and now. It is such a marvelous experience of blessing. The disciples do not want to leave. They're afraid to death, but they do not want to leave. And Peter, as the spokesperson, just kind of blurts out, expresses this desire to build three dwellings for each one of those heavenly visions so they don't have to return to the valley below. Kind of out of his mind, he doesn't know exactly what to say, and so that's what he says. Because remember, suffering and death is what is ahead. It is a comical story of sorts when you step back and listen to it. It exposes the truth of the disciples' attachment to this heavenly vision and kind of their overwhelmed sort of feeling in somewhat ridiculous terms. Did Peter really think that Moses and Elijah, long dead, could now actually... Stay up there on this mountain. But if we stop and think, Peter's exuberance also exposes maybe our own more than we like to admit. When we become entranced with the fantastical or the supernatural, looking for a sign or a thin place that proves to us that Jesus is real or the Spirit of God is active. The truth is that spiritual experiences are real. They are real. They come as grace gifts during moments of selflessness, during prayer and worship, encounter with beauty, in a relationship. Something happens, there's a visitation. 
of the Spirit of God. And everything that I have read about these fleeting, and I'm going to say psycho-spiritual encounters with God, because it's whole being, when we actually whole being encounter God, that place of direct contact, somehow we become awake to it. Our normal response is to attach. It is. It's our normal response. To attach and hang on. I'm going to build a booth here. I don't want this to end. To hang on for dear life. The truth is, though, also, that this action of wanting to hang on pulls us out of the immediacy of the experience of God's presence. So if you think of yourself, you know, a moment that you've had with the experience of an encounter with God that has deeply kind of pressed into you, and the moment that you think about that, you kind of, you're out of it. It's crazy, but we do it. We all do it. Kind of look at ourselves from outside of ourselves and lose that place of, of wanting, of, of encounter. And we want to build a booth from our own hands to hold on to this blessing, thinking that we can remain there forever. It's the camp experience, though. It's the high. It's the thing, the place that we have met with God we want to stay there in the beautiful and the wondrous moment of encounter. Dr. Gerald May, in the book Care of Mind, Care of Spirit, cautions us. A helpful rule of thumb here is whenever a spiritual experience or the search for a spiritual experience becomes the overriding focus of attention, Things have gone astray. Although spiritual journeys begin in the context of experience, and although experience, experiences constitute major vehicles of insight, this is not to discount experiences, because they give to us major vehicles of insight, growth, support, and service along the way, the goal of the journey, here it is, the goal of the journey can never legitimately be the experience itself. They're grace gifts. The experience is a grace gift. God wants to reveal himself to us. We've been talking about that all through Epiphany. God wants to reveal himself to us. But that desire for that experience of encounter can't be what this journey is all about. The goal is beyond experiences. The goal is beyond experiences and has to do with our actually becoming, that's that transformational place, who, God's me who God means us to be, who God, what God means for us to do. Experiences can sometimes be, be a helpful means towards this end, but they can also get in the way. 
but they are never the end in themselves. No more booth building on that mountaintop. Mm -hmm. Mays goes on to say, some fully valid spiritual experience may be so shocking, it's a little bit what happened to those three disciples up, up on that mountaintop, may be so shocking, revealing, beautiful, frightening, or exciting that one cannot help but at least transiently be absorbed with them. This concern and attention may be necessary to integrate or even to recover from a dramatic experience. So here, if, if Jerry May was with us, he's no longer on this earth, but if he was standing with us, I think he would apply what Peter is doing in this particular passage. Like, okay, it's okay, Peter. It's okay that you wanted to build that booth. That's totally normal. You need that moment. Let that, what's happening now, just sit in it a bit. Just sit in it a bit, okay? It's okay. Yeah, okay. Let's just sit with that. What just happened? But as with profound shocks and other aspects of life, this is May's voice again, one needs to incorporate them and then move on. Again, not build the booth on top of the mountaintop. This is when a wiser, more experienced person can help us sort through what's happening. Oh my gosh, this thing just happened. Is this God? Is this not God? You know, I just wanted to stay there, but that felt crazy. And what is actually going on inside my heart? We need someone to validate the true. Yeah, I think that was God. I, I, oh yeah. Oh my gosh. I can hear it in your voice. I can see it in your face. You seem, you actually seem different. What happened? Tell me more. So validating the true, but also discarding the false. Mm, that booth building part? Well, yeah, let's, let's come back and put our feet back on the ground. Talk about what's happening in day-to-day -day life. So that we're able to move on as Mays instructs. So both, both, you know. When we look at the text itself, we find a helpful reorientation that follows Peter's exuberant desire to build these three booths coming as a locution or a voice from the heavens. Verse 7 says this. Then a cloud overshadowed them. If shining Jesus wasn't enough, now this happens. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved son. Listen to him. Listen to him. The direction is, is simple. Profound, but simple. The disciples are, are to continue to listen to Jesus to stay near to him, remember suffering and death is coming, near to him that they may understand what he's trying to stay, say to them. And then as quick as the voice came, it's gone. It's just gone. 
And suddenly when they looked around, Moses and Elijah were gone too, and they saw only Jesus with them. As they went back down from the mountain, Jesus told them not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. All that stuff, hold it in your heart. Hold it close. Let it sustain you. That's what those mountaintop glorious revelations of God do. They kind of, they are inside of us. They give us food and nurture and and remind us that God is still God. Hold it. Hold it in your heart. Don't, don't let it out. Hold it. Hold this thing. Hold this encounter. Hold this moment of beauty and seeing and knowing, but not seeing and knowing. Hold it. Hold it close. I think the teaching of this text is applicable as we turn the corner now into the season of Lent. Even the blessing, the grace gift of the transfiguration on the mountain does not take away the truth that Jesus with his disciples alongside of him are now walking towards suffering. So the highs, the highs, with the highs, of what we would name as star-studded, brilliant revelations of God. God saying, here I am. I'm for you. I come, I come near. I am with you. I will do everything for you. I will come and reveal myself to you. There are also the lows. The moment of Intimacy and insight are, is that food. It's that food for our souls. And it exercises and enlarges our capacity to see and recognize God's presence near us in all of life. But the places of suffering and doubts and absence are also as needed as much even though we may want to avoid them. I would not wish tragedy on anybody, but life in this world gives its unfair share and some more to others. Highs and lows, Jesus with us in both places. In the end, the story of today is one of triumph and glory. But it is also one that exhorts us to keep on listening and following Jesus into the ordinariness of life. Years ago, I, I served as a retreat and program coordinator at a local spiritual formation ministry. I loved my job in that season of life, and it gave me um, opportunity to learn as I served. I got to go on a whole lot of quiet retreats. It was wonderful. One of the instructions given at the closing session of each retreat 
each retreat I heard this, was to treasure the experiences of the retreat, but not let them go to one's head. You know, after 24 hours, 36 hours of being in quiet and just having time, especially as a busy young mom, of, you know, quiet and good teaching and worship and walking in the woods, you know, it can kind of go back up to, you know, like you could start thinking of life as a hermit. (laughs) That would be really good but not let all that goodness kind of go to a whole different place. But the instruction was given every single time. A way to not have that happen was to be willing to serve when you went back home. And in particular, this was the instruction, go clean a toilet. Go clean a toilet. Odd, but true. Go clean the toilet. The mountain and the valley. The spectacular, oh yes, and the mundane are all part of life with Jesus. And they work in our hearts together as a blessing from God. I'd like to close with reading a poem by Jan Richardson from her book, Circle of Grace. And this um, poem is entitled Dazzling. Believe me, I know how tempting it is to remain inside this blessing, to linger where everything is dazzling and clear. We could build walls around this blessing, put a roof, over it. We could bring in a table, chairs, and have the most amazing meals. We could make a home. We could stay. But this blessing is built for leaving. This blessing is made for coming down the mountain. This blessing wants to be in motion, to travel with you as you return to level ground. It will seem strange how quiet this blessing becomes when it returns to earth. It's not shy. It's not afraid. It simply knows how to bide its time to watch and wait, to discern and pray until the moment comes when it will reveal everything it knows, when it will shine forth with all it has seen, when it will dazzle with the unforgettable light you have carried all this way. Jesus, we thank you for your word to us this day. And we ask, oh God, that you would seal the blessing, the grace gift you want to give us in our hearts. Amen.